Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast, the show about all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. You can support the ongoing production of this independently produced program by donating to our Patreon at clarinet.com support. Supporters get early access to extended ad-free podcasts and exclusive access to patron-only episodes and live events. And now for today's episode with special guest Mark Gelfo, practicing smarter with Modacity. That's the real principle behind Modacity is creating an environment from which uh, quality practice and musicianship can flourish. Today on the podcast, I discuss an exciting new app for your smartphone that lets you take your practicing to the next level by reducing the need to have a notebook, a tuner, um, a recording device, and all these different things. You can just combine all that into one app. It's called Modacity, and it lets you really focus your practice and reach a new level of uh, the sort of practicing experience. So I go over some of the features with its creator. We talk about some of the benefits and how you can manage your screen time effectively, ironically, even while using an app. And uh, we all also discuss some of where music seems to be heading and uh, music entrepreneurship for the 21st century. And special thanks to Mark for extending a special discount to Clarinet listeners. You can get a reduced cost on a lifetime subscription to the app. Uh, you can head to the show notes for today's episode. That's clarinet.com slash 99. I'll put a link there or we tell you the special URL you can head to at the end of today's episode. I just want to mention that it's almost episode 100, and I was planning to have a listener sort of extravaganza here, but struggling to get people to send things in for some reason. It's really weird. Usually people are happy to send in voicemails, but uh, I don't know. Something's going on this time. So, hey, if you've got a second, head to clarinet.com slash voicemail and tell me what your favorite moment from the podcast has been, how it changed your life, or how it's changed your perspective on the clarinet and, and the clarinet industry as a whole. So, anyways, thank you so much for listening, and we'll get to today's episode right after this short message from our season sponsor, D'Addario Woodwinds. Today's episode of the show is brought to you in part by D'Addario Woodwinds and their new weekly trivia show called Don't Blow It. You can check it out every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time on their Instagram channel. And if you know the right answers to the questions, you might even have the chance to win some amazing new gear. By the way, if you haven't checked out D'Addario's new reserve clarinet reads, you're in for a real treat. They're using some amazing new technology and manufacturing techniques that are helping achieve super consistent results. These reeds are now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet, and you can pick up a box at your local music store. Or, if you want to order online, you can head right now to clarinet.com slash reeds. Unfortunately, 85% of people that start playing music quit, and that happens pretty quickly. So that's a problem because music is an original human activity. It supports empathy, pro-social behavior, it creates greater intelligence, it connects you with yourself and with others, and it's a universal language, which is so important in a global society. So what I do is I make software that helps people uh, continue along the music path. Wow, you know, I love that. And it's something that I always tell uh, students at a beginner workshop, for example, I teach a lot of local workshops here with kids, and sometimes the schools have a policy where everyone must try music um, for one year sometimes two, sometimes two years, but usually one year. And the kids often complain. And I always say to them, I've never met an adult who looked back and said, oh, I deeply regret that my parents made me learn music. But I hear many, many adults who always wish that they had learned. So is your app designed to help those from the very beginner young stage um, all the way up to adult beginners? Or where does it sit in with uh, sort of a market? Right now, it's designed to help people who kind of already know what they're practicing at least to some extent. Maybe they have a teacher that assigns some repertoire or they're self-directed learners. Down the road, we're really hoping to bring more folks in 
from the very beginner level. But yeah, right now it's people that kind of already have a practice established. So before we dive into some of the features of the app, I first want to talk about, you know, how it came to be and, and what sort of its uh, best sort of um, fit into the musical society is right now. You mentioned in our email conversation sort of an, an era of intelligent music practice that's that's come to be. Would you tell me a bit about that? Music is one thing. We all have it within us. But practice is another thing that is not so innate to the human condition. And there's a lot that science knows at this point about how we acquire skills, how we acquire language, what the stages of development look like, and what kind of processes can amplify or accelerate moving along that learning curve. And there's a huge gap between all this scientific knowledge and what people actually do in the practice room. So when I say intelligent music practice, the era of intelligent music practice, what I mean is taking action in the practice room or when you're you know, playing music with your friends or in rehearsals that is, say, informed by this research. And hopefully we have devices, software, um, you know, protocols, ways of interacting that really make it easy to leverage that science. So what is some of the science? And you mentioned also wellness uh, technology that sort of um, intertwined with the modesty experience. One of the uh, scientific findings, for example, is that flow states lead to like up to 500% deeper creativity. It's a state that you get into when time sort of stops. You're just there and absorbed. It happens a lot in skiing and music performance. Is that kind of from like the inner game of music? Because I actually just talked to the author of that book, being sort of deeply focused and, and kind of letting distractions sort of be out of the way. It's almost like a meditative state. That's right. And there's a researcher, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote literally the book on flow. And he talks about the difference between challenge and skill level and having something that's just slightly more challenging than you know how to do so that you're 100% engaged. And when that happens, our neurochemicals look very, very different. There's like heightened endorphin, there's heightened dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, all of these four chemicals uh, come out. And what happens is that memories get consolidated a lot more deeper. Like you can probably remember some of these peak experiences in very vivid detail. And there's a reason for that. And that's because actually the chemicals in your brain were different when you were having that flow state. So if you can get people to practice more in flow states, they'll have much more vivid, deeper recall and what they're practicing will be more creative. So this might be an odd question, but to sort of put the, I think everyone knows what the flow state feels like um, when they're in it. But sometimes when you have something to practice and you don't really get into that mindset, it's sometimes hard to notice that you're not in that mindset, if that makes sense. So what's a sign that you're doing something currently that's above your current level and won't allow you to kind of get into that state of learning? I think frustration, confusion, um, overthinking, like when the when the thinking verbal rational mind tries to interfere with what's going on is a sign that you might be biting off more than you can chew. And yeah, again, this this comes back to wellness and mindfulness of being aware of what you're feeling in the present moment and letting that inform the actions that you take. So how does the Modacity app help improve your your mindfulness and your wellness in this sense? Because. Modacity takes a lot of the burden of managing your practice session from you. So one of the ways that I was consistently kicked out of flow in my music practice over you know, the last 15, 20 years 
has been worrying about what to practice or how to respond to what I'm doing, being overwhelmed by the amount of mistakes or flaws that I'm detecting in, in my playing, uh, generally not having a good system to record notes or, you know, notes to myself, what I need to improve, not being able to have a smooth system for listening back to myself. All of those are problems that kept me from being in flow. So what Modacity does is it allows you to get super clear about what you're practicing so that you don't need to have any doubt or decision fatigue entering the equation. Oh, I'm practicing Mozart right now, period. And then the self-recording is built into it in a really, really smooth way so that you just hit record, it plays it right back for you. You don't need to worry about saving or naming or filing things. That helps you stay in flow. And then when you listen to the recording, you're able to take notes immediately or go into deliberate practice, which is when you choose one thing to focus on and make an improvement by testing strategies that are likely to cause that improvement. In a nutshell, like Modacity creates an environment that allows flow to arise. Well, it's funny because at first I was thinking to myself, and I always like to sort of play devil's advocate with with any guest in the podcast, so or any topic really. Um, but I know that a lot of uh, players would probably think, "Oh, really? Do I need an app to practice? I mean, why do I need to use that?" But if you think about it, you're probably already using a notebook and a recording device and all these other things, and the thing I thought was really interesting about this is it does keep it in one place. Like your recording is there with the notes you had in that moment for your later reference. Yeah. A a lot of people are already doing self-recording or practice journaling. I'm in my office right now and I can see 12 practice journals that I've accumulated over the years that are just chock full of stuff that I never read or remember because it's not accessible to me. Yeah. If I'm honest with myself too, like I'll often put on my iPhone to record um, or, you know, whatever other device I would use to use and, and the practice books and they never get cross-referenced. It's just a, it's a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. The cross-referencing and even just that little step of like, I have to open voice memos. You're in a different cognitive environment. And that's the real principle behind Modacity is creating an environment from which uh, quality practice and musicianship can flourish. Well, and one of the things I love, too, about uh, I got the email when I first signed up that said, you know, welcome to Modacity. Uh, you can do various things with it. And the, I think it was the second item said something like we advise putting your phone on do not disturb mode while you use the app because we want you to be really focused. And I, I thought that gave a nice sort of nod to the fact that this is an app, but we want it to be productive, not in any way adding to your daily distractions from your phone. Yeah, this is a trending topic. It's it's amazing. Apple's finally jumped on the bus with their new iOS release that allows you to track some of your screen time. But there's some major apps out there. Uh, Flipped is one of them, F-L-I-P-D, that is actually an app for taking time away from your phone. Ironically. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. But it's getting great results because digital addiction is, is causing um, massive massive emotional problems in younger populations. So figuring out how to use these devices and leverage the benefits that they offer while avoiding some of the bigger potholes and detriments is, is very important. Well, and how do you feel you fit into that as a, as an app developer? Because I, I, I do worry, for example, with some of my younger students, especially that if they were to start using something like this, um, that the practice time would become screen time. That's like such a common, you know, buzzword right now, but it's true, you know? So how do you feel about that? And what are some things that you would suggest to people to work around it? To be completely honest, I have mixed feelings about it. I spent a lot of time in front of a screen and 
I recognize that it's not completely healthy. It's not as healthy as I'd like. I'd love to spend more time in nature. And when I go to practice, which for me is a very sacred activity, um, I don't want to look at my screen so much. And yet here I am, I've got this practice app. So what I do with Modacity is I still use it because I just can't say no to the kind of gains that it gives me in the practice room. It's, it's really addictive to me, but I, I just put it off to the side and I, I practice with it. I do self recording and sometimes I do longer sessions where I'm just improvising or even lights off completely resting my eyes, completely absorbed into sound. But I know that this thing in my pocket is at least um, tracking my time and allowing me to get some insight into how I'm using my time. Yeah, I think you raise a good point, you know, and uh, I, I personally find that it's super hard to focus my use of the device. And I think that really there is some sense that the user should be more responsible. I mean, if I'm using Modacity as a tool to improve my practice and to keep my recordings and my notes in one place, that seems like a good use of time and and something that could go along with practicing. But if I'm picking up my phone because it's open and checking Facebook every 30 seconds as well, that's very inappropriate use. So so I think it's, it's just an educational thing. Maybe a lot of us need to focus the way that we use this device and see it as a tool instead of a constant connection, um, you know, addiction platform. It's interesting you mentioned that because to me, our current stage in our relationship with technology represents a very bumpy spot on the path. I don't think that education necessarily will, will solve it. And we're at a place right now where there's so much knowledge in society and so much information about how to do things, how to do this, how not to do that, what to do that's right, what what not to do, that really I think massive value comes from having something that can guide you or coach you and put that knowledge into action. And what I see in the revolution, the coming revolution of assistive technology or intelligent practice is something that's a little bit more like a coach or even a practice nanny that just tells you, hey, you've been popping up Instagram for, you know, 20 times in the last hour. Like I'm, I'm cutting you off. It's time to go practice time to go for a walk and just kind of like moves you along the, the infinite decision tree of choices that are in front of you and helps you based on your own best interest. Well, I felt this about, um, I'm not really aging myself that much, but about 10 years ago when I graduated, I noticed this was around with the time that, um, iPhones and that were becoming really really popular. And I started to notice this in myself. And I had this sort of weird idea at first where I actually put my router on a timer and I would shut off my internet every day at 10 PM and it would come on again in the morning. But what I found was, is we were so integrated into needing the internet that all the things I would try to do, I'd have to go sneak the router back on for five minutes here and there. And I eventually, <laughs> like, even I would try to plan my trip for the next day, wherever I got to go. Oh, I got to check Google maps. Cause it's not like I got a phone book laying around. Um, so everything that I needed to do came down to the computer. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting state of flux. And I have trouble with a lot of, you know, sensation that that people always are looking back to the old ways of doing things. Um, and the biggest reason I have trouble with it is because things seem to always be getting better, especially with music. I mean, the musicians today could play circles around the musicians of 100 years ago, Um and some of the musicians in big orchestras who won their jobs, for example, in the 60s and 70s or earlier, um, they're not sure they would win the job today, you know? So how is it possible that things seem to be getting worse in this regard, but people are always getting better? 
there's there's so many ways to view it. It's such an interesting uh, ecology uh, ecosystem of music. In some ways, music is timeless, right? Like, what does it mean to be a better musician than Mozart or a better musician than uh, Pythagoras or even some cave dwellers that had the most sublime experience of dancing and and singing together? But at the same time, you're right, like technique and intonation, accuracy, the the ability to play new things and new ideas is, is growing exponentially. And I think the only way is forward. Totally. Love that. So you also mentioned um, musical mastery versus instrumental mastery is an area of interest for you. So what do you mean and uh, how can Audacity help with that? That's kind of what we were just talking about with auditions where um, – I think instrumental mastery is increasing dramatically and musical mastery is subtly different. Musical mastery to me means having a command of the spirit of music, being able to work with and express ideas, sonic ideas that have meaning and emotion and impact and connection with the listener. And that is such an art and, and a science too, but it's like magic when you get it. And you don't need to be a master of your instrument to be a musical master. I, I noticed this with like uh, hang drum players who, who do these long kind of meditative jams. It's really simple. It's a simple instrument. Obviously they can play, but the magic from them comes from setting up a trance-like state with this music and, and it's very, very popular. So basically instrumental mastery is kind of like your technical skill and musical mastery is your creative skill. They feed into each other. It's more than it's more than technical skill. Like with, with the horn, um, endless, endless journey of discovery. I'm sure it's the same with clarinet where I'm learning how to sing and play on my horn. I'm learning how the harmonic series gives me microtonal uh, sounds and how I can do turns and ornamentation using the microtones of the harmonic series. And that opens up new musical ideas so that I can express new and meaningful palettes of, of color and emotion to my audiences. Well, you know, you remind me of, I talked to a, a very great artist named Francois Uhl on the podcast here, and we talked about um, extended techniques for the clarinet. And one of the things he said that I found so interesting was that at some point, everything was an extended technique. So the, the, the <laughs> techniques of today that are extended in, in 20 years will be standard. <laughs> I love that so much. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of ties into modacity. I, I made a huge, unprecedented gain in my multiphonics mastery. I don't, do clarinet players sing and play at the same time? Yep, yep. And it's becoming, you know, something that's expected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same thing with horn, very much on the fringe for a while. And now it's getting more popular. And what I did was I set up a playlist called multiphonics mastery. And a playlist is like a, it's like a practice session list. And I put on there... Uh, tune my horn, and then a little bit of warm up, and then I identified five stages of multiphonics mastery. Just being able to sing and play at the same time, like very basic. Being able to lock in intervals, being able to move one note while keeping another note the same, being able to move both notes at the same time, and then finally creative integration was stage five. And I had each of those stages on my practice session list. Just a minute. And I, I set a timer of one minute per stage and I practiced one minute per stage for two weeks in a row. And 
after that two weeks, my multiphonics was in a completely different place. I, I was amazed what I was hearing. They're really interesting. Well, and it reminds me too of a, a book that I read recently. The guys, uh, one of the chapters I think was called compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. If you could go back and look at the way you were playing those, those notes a week or two weeks ago, you would notice a stark difference, but you probably wouldn't have noticed a difference every hour of every day over those two weeks. Definitely not. It somehow it crept in. So that's something else interesting about this app is that you can go back and listen to what it was like several weeks ago. And that's, that's got to be motivating. That's motivating. The other cool thing is the star rating. You, you're asked to rate your mastery after each time you practice an item. It's optional, but you know, it's just you slide on a star scale. And I can then look at the graph of how my mastery has changed over time on some of these things. And some, sometimes it goes down when I stop practicing and I can say, oh yeah, I was practicing this a bunch a month ago and then it went down when I stopped practicing or like multiphonics, it went dramatically up. So when you come up with these like practice playlists, is that something you can uh, share with friends or be a bit social about or as a studio teacher? We're working on that. That's, that's like right next up on the roadmap. I kind of imagine like a Fitbit of, of practice here. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. You know, competing with your friends or calories burned and whatever. Maybe not that, but. <laughs> <laughs> There's some people racing to 10,000 hours on Modacity. Oh, I bet they are. Yeah. 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 Well, even Audible, do you know what that is? It's like that uh, ebook app. Yeah. So um, you can actually get a trial of Audible to support the podcast at clarineat.com uh, slash support, just to put that in there. But also, um, I've been using it lately, and it actually tracks your listening time. So um, I found it really motivating to get through an, a, you know, an additional book this last month with my listening, because I noticed I was a few hours behind. And uh, I really like that. And it's, it's weird, because you feel like you're competing sort of with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any of this tracking, it... Ultimately, what it does is it brings awareness and insight to the activity that you're engaging in. Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned a term here, musicpreneurship, and this has become quite, uh, you know, I don't want to say common, but it's, it's a, definitely a thing that people are considering now um, and applying sort of this Silicon Valley thinking style to a musical career. Um, could you expand a little bit what you mean by that and, and how you feel that you've done that and how others can? I love that so much. When, when I went to conservatory, so I graduated with a cognitive science degree, computer science degree, and then I started a second undergrad in music at Indiana. And I got there and I had no idea what I was doing. And all of a sudden I was inside this culture, which is very much about uh, winning an audition or winning an audition or teaching. And I, it was presented as if those were really my only options. Nobody even said that I could have a chamber music career. And certainly no one said, uh, go come up with five ideas that are based on market research that you're doing on what's popular in the music market and then go test those with a small audience and iterate on them. Like that was completely foreign. So once I joined a startup accelerator and incorporated my company, started building things and testing it and understanding what kinds of processes uh, entrepreneur can use to manage the growth and um, success process, I would say for a business, it just struck me as something that needs to be applied to music careers because it's going to help a lot of people to thrive. There's so many musicians that like want to be players, want to devote their lives to music, have a ton of talent, but aren't going to go the musical like orchestra route. 
And that's the correct thing. They shouldn't be going the orchestra route. That's only for a very, very few people because there's only a very, very few jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, so what do you make of the idea that um, because some people will say, oh, it's somehow bad to mix music with business and uh, other people will will say that, oh, you have to mix music with business. So where where do you sit in the modern age? I mean, I have a feeling, but... (laughs) You don't have to. You can be an amateur if you want. But if you're going to be a professional, then it's your business. Ooh, I like that. It's for, it's pointed. <laughs> yeah. It's true, though, I, I feel. Yeah, well, I want, to, I want to expand on that. Business gets a bad rap. And it's time to redefine business just as much as it's time to redefine what it means to be a musician. Business is the creation of value. And I, so many people are doing that. So many music printers are doing that. And I'm just so excited to see this explosion of musical people that want to create value in the world, that want to solve actual problems and, you know, create a positive impact and do it through a relationship with music. Because the argument that comes from these people that say that business and music have no place together, I think part of it stems from this idea of the sort of artist living in turmoil who's discovered, you know, 100 years after his death is some genius. But I mean, I don't think those artists were really that happy while they were alive, if we're honest with ourselves. Yeah, there's there's so much struggle in humanity and suffering, and that suffering does lead to art. But I'm not sure that that's the only way, and I'm not sure that we want to keep down that path of, of transforming suffering into art. What if we could start to really work on alleviating suffering in the world and and convert that into our music? Well, I guess you got to decide, do you want to be the artist who's discovered a hundred years after they die and was looked back on as really ahead of their time? Or would you, yeah, would you rather be, you know, able to afford things like a car and a house and whatever, you know, normal things you'd like in your life along with your career? So yeah, that's super interesting. So Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I just want to let Clarity listeners know that they can actually get access to a special pricing for Modacity at modacity.co slash clarinet. Mark, was there any additional details you want to add to that? Yeah, it's um, it's a discount on a lifetime, just a one-time purchase, and you get full lifetime subscription access to Modacity Premium, which unlocks your uh, statistics, insights on your mastery, full history, unlimited cloud sync notes, full screen metrodrone, and a bunch of other features. So again, that's modacity.co slash clarinet. And of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes page. And I also want to mention, because it wasn't uh, something that I realized at first, but there's actually a free version of the app that you can just get started with and and play around with and, and see if it's for you. But if you do decide to upgrade, you can get that special deal. So thanks for that, Mark. Sure thing. So as we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like to share with the clarinet audience? Well, I just want to encourage everybody, no matter what level you're at, to remember your love for music and why you do what you do and if you'd like to get more out of your practice time go to modacity.co or find us in the app store and download it today thank you for listening to today's episode of the clarinet podcast show notes for this and all other episodes can be found at clarinet.com while you're there don't forget to join our email newsletter for free updates exclusive offers and a chance to win giveaways Guests, requests, listener feedback, and comments can be sent to feedback at clarinet.com. Special thank you to our season sponsor, Dario Woodwinds. Don't forget to check out their new show, Don't Blow It, on Instagram, and also try a box of their new reserve clarinet reads next time you're at the music store. 
Clarinet is made possible by listeners just like you. You can support the ongoing production of this independently produced program by donating to our Patreon at clarinet.com support. Supporters get early access to extended ad-free regular podcasts and exclusive access to patron-only episodes and live events. This program was produced and hosted by me, Sean Perrin, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Music performed by Michael Lowenstern. Debate episodes co-hosted by Andrew Morrow. Audio editing by Brian Chappells. And copy editing by Megan Taylor. That's all for now. Be sure to tune in next time for more of what's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry on the Clarinet Podcast.